A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord to Shebna, master of the palace, I will thrust you from your office and pull you down from your station. On that day, I will summon my servant, Elikiam, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and gird him with your sash. I will give over to him your authority. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I will place the key of the house of David on Achilleum's shoulder. When he opens, no one shall shut. When he shuts, no one shall open. I will fix him like a peg in a sure spot to be a place of honor for his family. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. eternal do not forsake the work of your hands Lord your love is eternal do not forsake the work of your hands I thank you Lord with all my heart you have heard the words of my mouth. In the presence of the angels, I praise you. I bow down toward your holy temple. Lord, your love is eternal. Do not forsake the work of your hands. I give thanks to your holy name for your merciful love and your faithfulness. On the day I called, you answered me. You increased the strength of my soul. Lord, your love is eternal. Do not forsake the work of your hands. The Lord is high yet he looks on the lowly and the haughty he knows from afar oh lord your merciful love is eternal do not discard the work of your hands lord your love is eternal do not forsake the work of your hands. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unscrutable are his judgments and how unsearchable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? or who has been his counselor, or who has given the Lord anything that he may be repaid. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The word of the Lord.
hand of God raised me up. The right hand of the Lord has triumphed. I shall never die. I shall live telling his deeds. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, Still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father, and so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the nether world shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly ordered his disciples to tell no one, that he was the Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. We're at a stage in the Gospel of St. Matthew where the scholars would call it a capstone moment or a mountaintop moment. As we hear Jesus with the disciples are journeying there in the region of Caesarea Philippi, and they're in a specific place in which there's this, this huge mountain. The side of the mountain is almost like somebody just took a a knife and just cut it, and it's just straight down. But over the years, what has happened, the Gentile nations that occupy that region, they have created niches in the mountain and had established idols for the different gods that they believed in. So as Jesus is with the disciples at that spot, he poses this question, who do people say? that Jesus of Nazareth is. And we notice in all of the responses given, there's one thing in common. Every person that they offer, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, all of them are dead. But yet, the people responding as that, if that, that's the Gallup poll response, if that's the general consensus, 
They recognize that Jesus is a formidable person within whom something supernatural is manifesting. He's like a superman. They see him as extraordinary. But yet it's not enough. So Jesus then poses the question to those who have grown intimate with him, with whom he has brought into a closer union, where he gives explanations deeper, deeper in terms of the great teachings he's been presenting. Teachings, mind you, that are always focused on his two favorite topics, God and the kingdom of God and what it looks like to be a part of this kingdom. Who do you say that I am? Okay, one of those pregnant pause moments, like when a teacher asks a question in the classroom, everybody's holding their breath. Please let, let so-and-so who always has the answer, please let that person speak. <laughs> when Peter opens his mouth, when Simon, of course, is not Peter yet, when he opens his mouth, you can imagine the other disciple, oh my goodness, what is this guy going to say? And what he says is impossible for any mere mortal to come up with. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, why this catches Jesus' attention? Well, to identify him as the Messiah, that would be an observation that anyone could make in the sense of the works that he was doing and so forth. The Messiah was, to, was expected to be this person that God would raise up from the line of David, and this person would realize and establish the political order and dominance of the kingdom when it was under King David. But then he says... The son of the living God. That could only come from one place. Or rather, shall we say it, one person. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For mere flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And we know this catches Jesus' attention because it wasn't too long before where Jesus offered praise to the Father for hiding the mysteries of the kingdom from the learned and the clever and revealing them to the merest children. No one knows the Son but the Father, and no one knows the Father but the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. So Peter, in light of what he has given in the response to the question, is celebrated by Jesus and given an address of beatitude. You are the blessed. And I say to you, you are kepha, petros in the Greek. But you know, the scholars like to say, oh, well, Jesus really didn't establish Peter in any primacy of position amongst the disciples because the Greek is petros, which is the masculine form for rock. But then he also says, and upon this rock, when he says, and upon this rock, he used the term, the Greek translation is Petra, which is the feminine and which means like a pebble. So he really didn't mean it that way. Well, the truth of the matter is, it would not have been either way because Jesus didn't speak to the disciples in Greek. He spoke in Aramaic. And there's only one term for rock in Aramaic, Kepha, or as some pronounce it, Cephas. And so... It is the rock. Jesus is establishing himself as the builder. Solomon, born of woman, no wiser man in all the world, born of woman alone. He was a master builder as well. It took him seven years to build the temple of Jerusalem. 
Jesus, remember in his teachings, his many, many teachings on, on the kingdom, he says, the one who hears my word and acts upon it is like the wise man who builds his house on rock so that when the storms come, as they do, it will buffet the house, but the house will stand. And of course, the one who doesn't act on and doesn't live according to his word is like the one who builds a house on sand. So when these same storms impact as they do, the house will be totally destroyed. Jesus, the church, wants us to understand the significance of a passage of the gospel of St. Matthew that we oftentimes can just let go in one ear and out the other ear because we get so familiar with it. And even the response, the response that Simon Peter gives, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, or when we say our creed following every liturgy of the word after the homily is broken, uh, breaks open the word, we start God from God, light from light, true God. We just let that roll off. But what does that really mean for us in the day-to-day -day activity of this mystery of the kingdom of God? Jesus wasn't just establishing something for then. This is for all times. It is a fulfillment of everything that prefigured and pointed to this moment. And why the first reading chosen from the 22nd chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah is significant. Shebna was prime minister of the household of God of the kingdom then. The prime minister was given keys. The keys symbolized authority, the authority of the king who ruled over the people as a father. But he also, the, the ruler, the king also had a priestly charism to him. And so we hear how Shebna was quite derelict of duty, and he's being given a word of judgment through Isaiah because he started uh, self-seeking and self-serving, and this wasn't to be. So he was removed from the office, and another was placed in his position, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe you with, the, with your robe and gird you with the sash, the sash representing the cincture that the priest wears as he vests, as we see the altar service sometimes having the cincture. And give over to him your authority. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and of the house of Judah. I will place the key of the house of David on Eliakim's shoulder. When he opens, no one shall shut. When he shuts, no one shall open. Even the language Jesus is speaking to Paul, to Peter, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Whatever is bound on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He has given Peter and those who will succeed him on this, seat, on this seat the authority and the power to rule in his name in his stead until he comes again in great glory. So the keys, the authority is there. And we know this wasn't just to Peter for one particular time. We can see this in the record of the writings of the sacred scripture of the New Testament particularly. Remember after Judas took his own life and after Jesus reestablished the the, 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 the apostles and invested them with the Holy Spirit and so forth, it was then Peter said, we must choose someone to take up the place of Judas. And he chose lots and Matthias, the lot fell to Matthias, and he would then take up the place that was left vacant as a result of Judas' treachery and own despondency and despair. 
of redemption. But who do you say that I am? Who do we say Jesus is? Is he someone who is worth my time, at least for one day out of seven on a Sunday? Is he someone that I can trust to forgive me of my sins in word and in thought, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do? Is he someone that I can trust that will tell me what I ought to do and should do for the betterment not only of myself but of those with whom I associate with? Is he someone that I can trust to tell me the truth about who God is, who I am in relationship to God and everyone else? And how so oftentimes I'm tempted to want to store up things for myself for the rainy day to the extent that I don't even know that I'm going to see tomorrow. Is he someone that I can trust to tell me who my neighbor is? When I'm confounded by some of the teachings he presents, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, well then who is my neighbor, Lord? He is the master builder. He has established you and I, and in truth we shall say it this way, he has conferred upon us a kingdom. All of us share in the charisms of our king and our Lord, priest, prophet, and king. Yes, there is a hierarchy, but yet all of us participate in this. All of us need and must come to the one who alone is able to give us the truth and nothing but the truth, so help us God. And what a gift to know that this church that's instituted by Christ, a church, yes, that has its fair share of saints and sinners, from the highest positions to the lowest, it's there. And Jesus told us these things would come. Scandals will most certainly arise. Woe to those through whom they arise. But it does not it does not dissolve the reality of what has been established for all ages. Our mission is to present this kingdom to the whole world, the opportunity to come into it. You know, some people, especially those who have sometimes fallen away from the faith and they've, you know, gone to other communities and they'll say, they'll ask a question, isn't Jesus enough? Isn't Jesus enough? Why must there be a church? Why must we have all this other stuff? Well, how is it that you're going to love the king and despise the kingdom? What, 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 what king? Tell me, show me a king that doesn't have a kingdom. We are the kingdom of heaven on this earth because of the selection and the initiative of our Father in his Son, Jesus the Christ who has been given the autonomy of establishing the reign of God for one and all. Some people say, I'm, I, I don't go along with organized religion. I'm spiritual. I don't go along with organized religion. Well, sorry for those people because Jesus is the one who organized religion. He's the one who set in motion what we have today that we can trust that what we celebrate, when we gather, what we hear. Do you realize that the Bible was comprised and put together in order that the readings can be incorporated in the holy, in the, in the gathering of the Mass? 
It didn't happen until like about 300 years until after the establishment of the ecclesia, the community, the body of Christ that Jesus builds upon this rock foundation. It didn't happen. The, the written scriptures weren't presented in the mass until 300 years after. So the church has been the reality of the living stones, you and I, who have been incorporated into this mystery. We are the ones who have preserved the teachings of Jesus and placed it in a way that people can be inspired and want to be a part of. What you hold bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. What you loose in heaven on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Probably the most significant authority and power vested in the church is that of forgiveness of sins. You know, the official exorcists of the church say that at the judgment, Lucifer, Satan, will be there trying to accuse, like you could see like a court, a court, a court uh, uh, action is going on. And they say that he can only, he can only bring up, he can only present in the trial, at the moment of the judgment, he can only present the sins that you and I have not confessed. That's all that he has to present. He cannot present anything else. Whatever has been confessed in sincerity and sorrow of heart on this side of God's kingdom cannot be brought against us in the court of God's kingdom. So I don't know about you, I know I fall short on many, many levels. I'm doing my best to take advantage of the presidential pardon of the king entrusted to the church so that by the time all is said and done, I can hopefully render my accuser speechless. He will be reduced to silence when I am set before the judge and my advocate, the Holy Spirit, is my defense attorney as he presents me to the Lord. May all of us lay hold today of this capstone moment, this mountaintop moment in the Gospel of Matthew as we strive to believe in what has been revealed to us and what we are invited to participate in in season and out of season. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What does that mean for us? Each one of us, we have to work this out for ourselves. God love you. <laughs>